Amen. Hey, good afternoon. How many of y'all got a nap? All right, y'all are good to go. I'm going to tell you a funny story about napping. There's this little boy, his name's Johnny, he's running around and around in Sunday school. I might be talking about myself, but uh, the teacher said, hey, can uh, everybody, we've got to get ready to go to big church. Can anybody tell me why it's important to be quiet in big church? And the little boy's ready to say, I can, I can. Okay, Johnny, why is it important to be quiet in church? He said, because people are sleeping. <laughs> so they get into the service, and uh, he and his sister are sitting over on the left, and he is just making a racket. And she keeps elbowing him, telling him he's got to be quiet, he's got to hush while they're doing the announcements. And then the music minister gets up, and they start, and he's singing really loud and obnoxious. His parents must be in the choir. His sister's giving care of him. Finally, the preacher gets up, and she said, Johnny, you've got to be quiet now. You've got to hush. The preacher's up. He goes, who's going to make me? She said, see the guys in the back in the dark suits? They're the hushers. <laughs> There's no real story direction with that, and that's just for fun. But if you do fall asleep, that's all right. Just don't knock your teeth out and pew in front of you. You'll be fine. All right, well, we're going to jump in, and I'll, um, what I want to do is hear back from you. What stuck with you? What stuck to you? What stuck on you? We talked in the Sunday School Hour about life uh, is a mission trip. has been our theme, but we talked about lifestyle evangelism. And then uh, we talked about lostness. And so maybe you have questions or ideas. If somebody came, somebody gave me one already about Jesus is the greatest a new one, they asked me about a grocery bagger. So that was an interesting one. So uh, I've had some, had some fun ones over the years. But um, anyway, any, anything you come up with, just mention it to me. I'll put up some words that maybe some of those words uh, mean something to you. But just talk back to me. And I know some of your names, so I can pick on you. Um, <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll kind of go with that for a while, and I'll, and I'll talk about uh, how to prepare a heart to um, have a lifestyle of evangelism. But talk back to me. What's something that stuck with you or stuck on you? Don't all of you talk at once. What's that? The bear trap. People being ensnared. Yes. And if we get to session four tonight and I talk about spiritual warfare, which is kind of where we're going, um, I'll, I'll talk some about that. And really a lot of our lives are spiritual. We're involved in spiritual warfare, but we don't really realize that. And, uh, and sometimes it's, it's life challenges that are spiritual warfare. And um, it, it's something that we have to engage. It's a battle to engage in with the armor of God. And I'll talk about that. But that's a challenge. And I haven't talked with you. I know that that's a challenge. But we don't quit praying because we're praying in a tug of war for somebody's life and their soul. And, um, and so it is a battle. But we don't stop. And just a, just a word of encouragement. Howard Hendricks. I don't know if you've ever heard Howard Hendricks. He's a professor at Dallas. One of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever heard. I got to hear him for several days. And he told a story about praying for his dad for 40 years. And this is a world-class professor, and it took 40 years before his dad came to Christ, and he was led to Christ by a milk truck driver in Washington, D.C. And what the whole prompt was, he said, if you, he just happened to say this, if you ever see my dad, you'll recognize him because he looks just like me. And uh, the man stopped his truck, saw the guy, and said, are you Howard Hendricks Sr.? And he said, yes, I am. How did you know? And your son told me that you would look like him, and led him to Christ, but it was 40 years of praying. So I say that to encourage you, don't stop praying. Sometimes it takes a long time. I'll say something on a personal note. My dad's been in church all of his life, but he didn't get actively involved in church till he was 66 years old. And I prayed for my dad his whole life for that, but it was my grandmother's funeral that prompted, and I mentioned that this morning, that prompted a whole lot of things in her, her children and grandchildren's lives, I think, that really got their attention. So, But anyway... Thank you for asking. Somebody else, question or comment? Yes, sir. Just a general question. Praying for family members who may not be Christians, uh, 
That's a good question. Well, you're right about that. Uh, you don't talk to them every time you see them about spiritual things or engage them in a challenging conversation, but you do constantly pray. Um, one thing about it, I, I want to back up and answer a question you didn't ask, but it's inherent in your question. One is the hardest people to reach are family members, people that are close to you, your next-door neighbor that you live beside all the time, the guy at work that you work beside for years, uh, family members, neighbors, um, that type of thing. I think they're the hardest ones really to, to engage a conversation with a lot of times because um, it takes a different approach and a different sensitivity. Um, but you almost answered your question the way I'd answer it. You don't do it every time, but you look for that opportunity. And then sometimes you just ask people, uh, well, how are you doing spiritually? Or have you thought about spiritual things lately? Or had any, any, um, you know, any experience with God? Or have you been reading the Bible? Or, and you may not ask that every time you see them, but um, another approach to that too is, is have you ever really shared your own, your own story with them? And I think a lot of times that's the least offensive way to do it, and it's also maybe the most effective and you might have to make an apology at the front end, and I don't mean like a you know a dramatic apology, but just something like, "Hey, you know, you know, I go to church, and and but I, I just really never shared this with you before, and it's I just felt like I ought to share my story with you if you don't mind listening for a minute, and you just share your story with them in a humble way, and let them know what God's done in your life. No, nobody minds hearing your story; uh, they may not respond to it. In fact, let me just tell you a story about a next door neighbor who's very similar to this. He's the one I mentioned this morning. His nickname is Sarge, and he's never been in the military. So that just kind of gives you a flavor of his personality. He's into John Deere, he's an engineer, and he's into cars, and he's not into much else. And, and, and politics. He, he does like to talk about politics. That's the one way I connect with him. We fairly much agree on politics. But um, I, <laughs> I invited him to a wild game dinner one time, and... Um, I'll remind me to tell you that because that was a surprise moment. It, it kind of fits in with your story, but it gives you a scenario with the neighbor. So anyway, December 23rd, several years ago, sitting in the house, I looked out the one, and I saw him at his burn pile. We all have big backyards, so he has a burn pile. And he'll go down and drive his little tractor down there, and he'll sit there and burn stuff, listen to country music on radio. His name's Greg, and I said, uh, so I was looking out the window, and I saw him, and it was like the Lord said, all right, now's the time you can go share your testimony. I've been praying for that opportunity. It's uncomfortable to talk with him because he doesn't really like to talk about spiritual things. So walk down there, go down there, share my testimony with him, and, I, and we chit-chatted for a minute. I said, Greg, I said, you know, we've been neighbors for a long time. You know I'm a Christian. You know I've got a church, but I've really never shared my story with you. Do you mind if I share my story with you, how I became a Christian? He kind of looked at me like, well, go ahead. You're probably going to do it anyway, but I don't really care, but go ahead, you know. So he listened, and I told him my story, and when I was finished, I mean, I knew that hadn't happened to him because he made that real clear. And, um, and I said, well, if you ever want to talk about that anymore, just let me know. And he just kind of looked at me like, okay, are you finished now? I mean, that, that was it. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable, to be honest. I mean, it's not, it's not always that comfortable. And so at, we, you know, wrapped up the conversation, and I started kind of walking back up the hill. It's kind of a slow grade, and I was fussing with God, in a sense. I was saying, you know, I knew he wasn't going to respond, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. And it was almost like, you ever been taken out behind the barn? Some of y'all have. I, I, I know what that's like. Some of y'all old enough to remember, and some of you have barns. It's almost like God was spanking me up the hill, you know, like that. Because as I was complaining, it was like God said to me, Marty, you've been asking for this opportunity. I gave it to you, but what I ask you to do was just share your testimony with him. I didn't ask you to save him. I didn't ask you to, to respond to his response. I just asked you to share your testimony with him. And that's all God asked me to do. And, but I was complaining about that. But God reminded me the only thing he asked me to do is share my testimony with him. And that was at that time, and it seemed very ineffective to me. I mean, it didn't seem like anything happened. 
So then, a couple, about a year later, we're having a wild game dinner at church. That's a great way to invite men to stuff, by the way. And so I went over and I said, Greg, would you like to eat some tasty animals? And he said, no, I don't care to eat any tasty animals. And he just walks right in the house. He's extremely blunt. And then he turns around, he walks right back out. And he said, wait a minute. He said, I got to tell you something. He said, you don't know what happened to us in the last year. And his wife had gotten a, lost her job and then gotten a better job. And then he had lost his job. And this is what he told me. He said, I lost my job this year, but I'm making more money than I've ever made. You know, my eyes got really big because I wasn't sure I wanted to hear what he's going to tell me. <clears throat> but he's an engineer, and he'd gotten on doing a certain application, and he's driving to Fayetteville every day, and they pay him a contract fee. And he's been there now for about like 10 years or something, or eight years or whatever. But he, he went on to say, and this is what he said. He said, I told the guys at work that God looks out for us sometimes even when we don't know it. That was his words. And I thought, wow, that opened a door to tell him several things. You remember the story I told this morning about my neighbor, Mike, a uh, retired Air Force guy? I got to tell him, Mike's story happened a week before Steve, uh, Greg's story. So I got to tell him the testimony of that and tied those stories together. So it's amazing how God's working in different ways. And as you're sensitive to what God's doing, you can kind of piece those things together in a family or even in a neighborhood. Um, and, and they operate a lot of similar ways if you're in a static neighborhood, which we have been. Most everybody's been there the whole time we've been there. So, um, but it's not always easy. And, and going back to your question, that's an excellent question. But you look for the right opportunity. You pray for the opportunity. And, uh, and sometimes you have to do it in a careful way. I know, like, my mother's family has a family reunion every year, uh, a couple weeks before Christmas. I always get asked to pray. I get asked to do all the family funerals. And so that gives me opportunities to share the gospel. But a lot of times it's in a broad way. And, and even, I, even this morning, as I was praying, I was praying for that opportunity to one-on-one talk with some of my cousins. I mentioned that, that. That was what was on my heart was my cousins. Because some of them, I don't really know where they are spiritually. You know, some of them go to church, some of them don't. But I can't tell where they are spiritually, irrespective of that. Because um, they all grew up in the same culture, you know. They know about Jesus. They know about the church. And they're nice people. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean they know anything, you know. So, anyway, that's a great. I hope I kind of addressed that a little bit. I, I kind of went all over the map to try to address it in two ways. But that is the, that's the good question. That's a hard group of people to try to connect with. Thank you, though. Somebody else, question, comment? Anybody come up with the Jesus is the greatest? You fill in the blank. Oh, by the way, I, since I mentioned hair this morning, i got to tell this one. We were doing a session like this just about two years ago, and I was in a church, and I, somebody said, Marty, what about a hairdresser? I said, oh, yeah, they got that. Jesus got that covered, too. He's the greatest hairdresser. He knows every hair on our head and even where the ones that are missing are. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so um, have fun with it. Have fun with sharing, your, sharing the gospel. And, uh, and be creative in your conversation. Let me say something. Y'all hadn't asked this question, but I'm going to raise the question, and then I'm going to answer it. Well, Marty, that's your personality. You, you talk to everybody that you see. Absolutely, I do. I talk to everybody. I don't meet a stranger. Well, I'm a shy person, and I don't talk a lot. How's that going to work for me? Honestly, if you're a shy person or a quiet person, it may work to your advantage. And here's why. If you're a quiet person or a shy person, a lot of times when you go to talk to somebody, you're not going to overwhelm them, you're not going to intimidate them, and they're not going to be trying to figure out what you're doing because you're calm and you're, you're, you're sensitive and you're, you're, you know, you're softer tone. If you're as wound up as I am, you can overwhelm people because I just talk to anybody and everybody about anything. Um, but I want to tell you, it's not personality. It's not whether you're real outgoing or whether you're shy. I mentioned that this morning, but it's the Holy Spirit. And God taught me an incredible lesson. 
I went into this place one time called Fred's Beds. You know, I got a bunch of kids. I was going in to get a bunkie board. Literally, that's what I was going, looking for, a bunkie board. And my wife was with me, and I'm one of the little kids probably was with me. And I was asking the guy questions, and, you know, da-da-da, what about this? Will it fit this bed? Will it hold this much weight? You know, that kind of stuff. And then I started to witness to him. <clears throat> and right when I started to witness to him, he said, I knew you were going to do that. I said, do what? He said, talk about something spiritual. I said, no, wow, that's interesting. You've got to explain that to me. His name is Mike. He said, well, he's about 35 years old. He said, we're Polish Catholics from Chicago. My whole family are merchants, and we play this game that we know within one minute of somebody talking whether they're going to buy something or not. We're about 85% correct on whether somebody's going to buy or not, you know, whether they're a serious buyer or not when they come in the store. In doing that game, we've also learned when somebody's going to tell us something that's really deep or personal or serious. And I said, how did you know that? He said, well... You became passive, and you lowered your voice. I thought, I've never been told in my whole life I was passive. I said, now explain that. He said, well, you softened your tone, and, and you, you were more calm. You, you lowered your voice, and you softened your tone. And, and the point that I got out of that, the Holy Spirit moment that I got out of that was, if the Holy Spirit can gear me down to witness to somebody, he can gear you up to witness. Amen. <laughs> So my point is, it's not really personality. It's really taking that initiative to engage a conversation and then letting the Holy Spirit take over. And it's not a matter of being bold or brave. I mean, sometimes I'm nervous about doing that, but most of the time I just make it a conversation. Uh, when I was in college and I was involved with Campus Crusade, kind of my agenda, if you will, was to get somebody to pray a prayer. I wanted them to pray to receive Christ and join the church and all that, and I felt like if all that didn't happen, I'd been unsuccessful. But my agenda's changed. Now my agenda is really kind of an open-handed agenda. The only thing in my hand is Jesus. I'm not really trying to get them to come to church. I'm not getting, trying to get them to pray a prayer. I just want to tell them about Jesus and then kind of see where they are and move them towards the cross. And that's really kind of what I'm trying to do. So um, anyway, that answers a question that some of you have, I know, but haven't asked. So I went ahead and asked her, answered it for you. <laughs> is that true? How many of y'all are thinking about personality, whether that's just my personality? Yeah, some of you raised nodding your head. Yeah, I want to answer that because I think... A lot of times we think, well, I can't do that, but, but he's doing that. That's what he does. I want to tell you something, another thing, too. Ladies uh, are better conversationalists a lot of times about broader things than men are. Uh, so, lady, if, ladies, if you're a good conversationalist, I had a, I've had several ladies tell me, you know, I, I can talk to anybody about anything, but I just don't know if I can talk to them about spiritual things. I was like, well, you just told me you can talk to them about anything. So why not throw spiritual in there? You're not going to probably hurt anybody's feelings with that. It's being churchy or holier than thou or goody two-shoes, those things don't go over real well with anybody. You know what I'm saying? But when you just call, talk about common stuff, talk about answered prayers, you know, when God's answered a prayer, if God does something unusual at church or whatever, people are interested in God stories. They're not really interested in church stuff, but they're interested in God stories. And so when God does something in your life and you tell people about it, most of the time they want to hear that. They're interested in that. So, all right, talk back to me. Somebody, something on your heart or mind. Steve, that's a great question. I don't even know how good it was, but he picked up on it really strong. I think what I did is we had talked to him, and I said, where are you from? That's my general entry to anybody. Where are you from? I'm from Chicago. Oh, Chicago. I said, well, did you, did you grow up going to church? I think that's probably what I asked him. Did you grow up going to church? And I don't know how he knew it, and I'd probably ask him like, or if he had any particular spiritual beliefs. That, those are my typical entree questions that are kind of what I call cold call questions. Is uh, Did you grow up going to church, or do you have a particular, any particular spiritual beliefs or whatever? But, um, 
that's that's probably how I entered that. And um, by the way, don't ever be defensive either. People sometimes, I mean, people don't like the church. There are people who've had bad experiences. If you ever run into to some people who have Catholic backgrounds, some of them have very bad experiences. But let me tell you a funny thing that happened to me on Wednesday night. I was with Daryl Robinson, the guy that wrote Total Church Life and People Sharing Jesus. So I took him out to eat at a restaurant in um, his Bonefish Grill. And the wait was like 45 minutes, but they have these community tables. They're kind of in the bar, but they're not at the bar, if that makes sense. But they're community tables. They're tabletops, and you sit down, and it's kind of like eating in England. You know, you go to eat, eat in England, everybody sits, you know, if there's room, somebody can sit there. Well, this guy and his buddy uh, sat down beside me. They're salesmen, and, and uh, Daryl and I were talking across from each other, and we were talking about spiritual stuff and talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, talking about the Home Mission Board and North American Mission Board. I mean, we were just talking, 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 talking. And at one point, this guy just all of a sudden says, turns to us and says to us, he said, having listened in on some of your conversation, I'm curious about what you guys think about politics and who are you pulling for in the election, you know, which, which candidate are you, you pulling for? And he's a political junkie, had a legal background, grew up Catholic, went to Loyola and all that kind of stuff, 72 years old, retired from, who did he retire from? Some corporation. I can't remember the corporation. But anyway, he retired after 30-some years from a corporation, but he's now selling hardware for a national hardware company just because he wanted to have something to do. So he engaged us in conversation, and so we listened to him, talked to him, answered his questions, and then I said, well, what's your background? You have a church background. And he told me his Catholic background and all that stuff, and then I just engaged him in conversation. And he was funny, and he kind of made fun of us, but he was also curious because as I began to share the gospel with him, and I mean, I was sharing it really clearly with him, kind of ABCs, you know, steps of peace with God. He, he looks at Daryl, and he goes, now he's preaching to me. And he laughed. He goes, now he's preaching to me. I said, well, I'm really not trying to preach to you, but I'm just trying to explain to you the process of how a person can become a Christian. And, and I told him, I said, take a look at this. And I, and I said, you ever look up websites? He said, no, nah, man, I'm too old. I don't look up websites much. So I wrote him down one. I said, well, take a read on this and think about where you are spiritually. And he had five children, just like I had five children. So the point that I'm kind of expanding is you look for connecting points. And our politics, all, all three of us, our politics were pretty similar. And we were kind of all talking about the different candidates and where they kind of where we saw them and with their effectiveness, and we all pretty much agreed about that. And so that gave us a, a basis of commonality. And then um, Daryl, seventy-seven, and looks really young, and this guy, seventy-two, and looked pretty young himself. He looked like he's probably in his early sixties. Both of them have white hair, but didn't look elderly, if that makes any sense. And um, and so you know we engaged. So you never know. People listen in on your conversation. That, that's what was going on there, and. He kind of listened to our religiosity, I guess, and he, that's kind of how he saw it. And he said, you know, my wife, she's faithful. She never misses church, but, you know, church isn't really, isn't really for me. You know, that was kind of his attitude. So we talked to him about that. But, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll see him in heaven someday. And um, it was fun. His name was Jim, and that's all he said. My name's Jim and Daryl Marty, you know, only first names. But uh, it was interesting, and he was pretty open to whatever we wanted to talk about. He's the one that engaged us in this case. So just... Verbal judo, when people give you stuff, just go with it. You know, whatever they give you to talk about, talk about that, and then use that as a bridge to talk about what you want to talk about. But in this case, I think he wanted to talk to us. He was curious about what we really thought. So, good question. Somebody else, comment or question? Yes, ma'am. Like a homeless person? Exactly. 
Yeah, I've, I've had some real interesting experiences. I'm in the Raleigh area, so there's plenty of homeless people. Every corner has one, especially during the day. And um, I always carry a pack of nabs with me or Lance crackers, something like that, and, uh, or a breakfast bar. I always have that. I travel a lot, so I always got a little bit of food with me in my glove compartment and always carry water bottles. And so that makes for a natural way that you can roll the window down and have something to give them. A lot of times I'll ask them, do you read or can you see, or do you have reading glasses, depending on their age range, and, um, and do you have a Bible? I had this happen to me one time. It was a young person, actually. I said the lady's probably 40 years old or younger, and her name was Lois. And I said, Lois, I always ask them their name, and then you kind of get to know them, and you can talk to them. You kind of continue to talk to them. And I said, Lois, I said, is there a Superman in your life like Lois Lane? I said, you remember Lois Lane? She said, yeah. And I said, is there a Superman in your life? She said, yes, sir, there is. His name is Jesus Christ. So sometime we'll find out that homeless people and, and street people really do know the Lord. I had another occasion. I'm going to answer your question in a minute, but I'm telling you some other information, some of my experiences. I had a lady one time, um, I asked her, I said, um, asked her, I said, do you have a Bible? And she said, yes, I read it most of the time. I said, are you a believer? Do you, know, do you have a relationship with Jesus? She said, yes, I do. She said, in fact, I have a home in heaven that nobody can take away from me. So some of these people have a pretty sincere, solid faith. And I won't try to parse out all the different categories, but there's about three different categories of homeless people. Those that choose to be, those that have mental illness or drug problems, uh, and then those that have had tragedies in their life and they just lost everything. Um, and so they're at all different levels. Now, pack of nabs, water bottle, those are things to carry. I always carry like a track or something, you know, little uh, New Testaments or something I can give them and try to engage them in conversation. And sometimes I pray for them. Uh, sometimes you only have 30 seconds. There was a little girl one time, I say a little girl, she looked pretty young, and she had lost her job and all that, and she was out there, and I asked her uh, if she had been interviewing for jobs, and she said, I'm a CNA, you know, a certified nurse assistant. And she said, I'm, I have an interview next week for a job. And I said, well, can I pray for you? Oh, please pray for me. So I very quickly prayed. I mean, you're at a stoplight, so you don't have a lot of time. But I, but I prayed for her. And so you do the best you can with that. Sometimes if it's somebody you can repeatedly see, you get a card or some information on where a church is or how, you know, a church in where their area where you are and invite them. Um, if it's somebody just like right up here, you might invite them to church. Now I'm going to turn this on the church. You've got to receive those people. You've got to be willing to, you don't have to love them, hug them, or kiss them, but you've got to be nice to them because you never know. Some of them might wander in here and just be, be Jesus in, in dirty clothes. I'll tell you a true story. This, this happened in Florida back in the 70s when hippies were hippies. This hippie dude comes into a church in Florida like this one, and it was packed. And so he didn't know where to sit. So there wasn't anywhere to sit, so he just walks down to the front. And it's kind of like a concert, I guess, and he sits down on the front, cross-legged on the front row. And this older deacon with a cane, who's about 80 years old, gets up. You talk about the sermon. This was the sermon that day. The 80-year-old man comes and sits down beside him just to make him feel welcome. Well, guess what? That hippie's a deacon in that church now, and he's in his 70s. True story. I forgot. It's somewhere in central Florida, somewhere near like Orlando, Tampa area, somewhere in that range. So but do the best you can. You know, kind of a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is kind of the summary of all that. And you're right. It is hard to follow up with them. Um, sometimes ministry is, is, um, is dirty, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. And um, there's a group of folks in the church I go to that actually go down on Saturdays and work with homeless people um, on Thanksgiving Day. 
Uh, we normally have all of our families together on Thanksgiving. My in-laws live in Williamston, and my parents live at North Myrtle Beach, but we generally have both families and brother-in-laws and so forth on Thanksgiving. Well, this year we did it the Sunday before Thanksgiving because our children's musical, our kids were in the program. So I called uh, Miss Alice McGee, who has Church in the Woods. She has a ministry to homeless people, and it's called Church in the Woods. So I called Alice, and I said, is there anything that our family can do um, with you on, on Thanksgiving Day because I know you're doing ministry on Thanksgiving Day to homeless people. She said, yeah. She said, I just had a family of eight people cancel on me. I said, well, we're a family of seven. Can we fill in? Absolutely. That's an answer prayer. So we, she said, meet us at, at um, 11 o'clock at this apartment complex in an urban area of Raleigh. And, um, and she said, I'll just tell you what to do, and we'll load up. You have, do you have a van? I was like, yeah, we have a van. You've know, you got to have a van. you got to meet kids. And, um, and so... There was about um, 15 people showed up to help her, and they packed our um, things with meals, and we went out to these neighborhoods, and we particularly went to a trailer park, but she said even some of the trailers are abandoned. And, and she said, and it's not unsafe, but, it's, but you need to be really careful, and she explained it to us. But um, we went, my whole family went on Thanksgiving Day, and, and uh, we distributed about 20 meals or so, and we got to share the gospel with everybody. Turns out most of the people were Hispanic, and so I don't know, but about nine words past Taco Bell, um, <laughs> but I used all of them, <laughs> and uh, I used the Evangel Cube, which I had up here a minute ago. I don't even know where I put it. Oh, it's right here. How many of y'all have seen an Evangel Cube? This is a great tool. How many of y'all have ever heard of a turkey call? I know you were talking about turkey hunting. I call this a center call, and uh, it's just a great tool. Uh, get one of these, let the pastor show it to you, but the short of it is, and you can't see it, but it shows, you know, the holiness of God, God separated from man, man's in sin, we're separated from God by our sin, Jesus died on the cross, the tomb, he rose again on the third day, and then you've got the cross as a bridge between us and God, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, you can't see this, but that represents hell, that represents heaven, and you can see the nail-scarred hand of Jesus reaching down to the hand of another person, and you know, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And then you've got the heart, shows a person praying, the Bible, fellowship with other believers, and sharing Christ in the world. Now, that's 30 seconds, but you can use this as a great tool. And we did that. We used it that day, and I shared it to people, and I know most of this in Spanish. I learned that in Honduras. So, But anyway, that's a great question. I kind of went all over the map, but, you know, sometimes we've got to get out of our comfort zone. And honestly, people are people. Um, they have the same issues you have. They may be at different scales or different levels, but people are people. They have certain basic needs. Uh, one, everybody needs to be loved, and everybody needs to be able to love, and those are just basic things. And uh, one of the things that I really try to do with my, my children is uh, we're very fortunate. Everybody in this room is very fortunate, by the way. Um, if, if you get to pick what you want to eat for lunch, you're a wealthy person. Um, this guy, in fact, the guy that we were sitting with at the tabletop, he was ragging me. Because he asked me if I'd done anything before I was in ministry. I said, well, I've been in ministry for almost 25 years. He said, do anything before that? I said, yeah, I was a banker. I, was, I spent three years as a commercial banker. In fact, one of the years was in Mount Olive. I was in Wayne County. I spent my second year with the bank in Mount Olive. And I, did, I was telling uh, Pastor Todd, I said, I did the pig palaces and the turkey farms and the hog operations. I was the poultry analyst for the bank back in the early 80s. I was with the bank from 80 to 85 to 88. And I was in Greenville and then Charlotte and then Mount Olive and then back to Chapel Hill. So... That was a rich experience. But anyway, he said, well, that's two professions you can't make any money in, banking and ministry. 
I said, yeah, but I'm a wealthy person. I said, I have an eternity that's unbelievable. <laughs> he, that didn't even flinch him. He just thought that was silly. But anyway, he was ragging me about you can't make any money in your profession. I told him, I said, but you know what? I'm extremely fortunate. I said, you know, God is blessed. And, I talk, and then I went in and talked about philosophy and principles. I said, you know, if you live by biblical principles, God takes care of you. I said, my dad taught me one principle called pay yourself first. You know, save 10% of everything you ever make. Don't spend it. You pay yourself first. I said, well, I added to that what God said is to tithe first. So I live on the 80% principle. You pay God, you know, give God his 10% at least. We give more than that, but at least give 10% to your church, and then you save 10%. And if you live on 80% of what you make, uh, you'll, always be in, you'll be, always be okay. And I said, I've always done that, and we've always been okay. And I said, so I live like a I told him, I said, I live like a wealthy man. How many of y'all saw the movie Courageous? That was a wonderful statement in that movie. He said, he dressed up in his suit, Javier. He said, I feel like a wealthy man. And his wife said, oh, Javier, you are a wealthy man. You have a family that loves you and a God who loves you. And, you know, we've got to put that in perspective sometime. And, um, by the way, our evangelism conference this year is February 27th. It's a one-day conference on a Monday, and it's in um, uh, Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem. But we have Alex Kendrick, who's the guy that is the main character writer. He's going to be our speaker that night. And then the boy that ran with him, who was his son in the movie, his name is Rusty Martin Jr., and he goes to school with my daughter, and they live in Garner. And so he and his dad, who was also in the movie, he was the factory owner, uh, we're going to have all three of them speaking that night, so just kind of a sidebar there. But anyway, thank you for asking that. I kind of went all over the map. I'll finish all of that by saying this. <clears throat> green zone, yellow zone, and red zone. We live almost all of our life in the green zone. We occasionally venture into the yellow zone. That's caution. Rarely do we venture into the red zone. But as Christians, God's called us to live in the yellow zone, to always be on caution in the sense that we're doing something that's a little bit over the edge and then continually going in the red zone. Uh, We have comfortable Christianity, mostly in North Carolina, but if you ever talk to a Chinese pastor or Chinese church fellowship leader or whatever, uh, they're constantly knowing that they could be killed, they could be executed, they could be imprisoned. But you know what? It's Pentecost every day in China. Over 5,000 people a day (laughs) coming to Christ in China. It's the fastest-growing Christian movement in the world. Um, There's millions of Chinese Christians. And they don't have churches. They don't have buildings. They have persecution. That's what they do have. (laughs) So just put that in perspective. Try to live in the yellow zone and venture into the red zone. And sometimes for us, it's just walking across the street, talking to your neighbor or talking to a family member about your faith. And that can be a challenge. But I, I challenge you to do it. God will bless it. Somebody else, one or two more. Wow, this time's gone quick. <clears throat> Ted, what's something that stuck with you? <clears throat> Educators. Anything stick with you or any particular point this morning? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, get to know people. <clears throat> I tell you what, people's names is the key to their life. If you know somebody's name. That's a key right there. And I was like, hey, Josh, how are you doing? But I know all my neighbors. I, I know everyone on their name. 
Uh, I don't know them intimately, but I could call every one of them at least by their first name. There's 34 homes in our development. I know every one of them by name. And I don't say that boastfully. I almost have tears in my eyes because I care about them. Um, you get to know people like that. They, they feel more comfortable around you. And um, we do a lot of stuff in our neighborhood. We do Christmas caroling every year. It started out the first year we did it. We had um, nine people, our family and the Jewish family. They weren't Christians yet, but they went Christmas caroling with us. It's kind of funny. Now they're the ones, they're the kind of the neighborhood um, social chairman people. They have a party at their house every year. And Yesterday I was in Lowe's, and the Zindigis, who have a Catholic background, they said, hey, Marty, we're thinking about having a chili party. We don't get our neighbors together enough. I said, yeah, we had a great time at Christmas. Y'all weren't here when we did the Christmas caroling this year. And she's one of the ladies that makes it like trick-or-treat. So when we get to her house, she gives out candy. And uh, it's like reverse, you know, it's like trick-or-treat again. But Vicki Nisen, the Jewish family, uh, she, they send out an email. Let everybody in the neighborhood know this is the night we're going Christmas Carol, and everybody wants to join, you know, join at the Dupree's house at 6 o'clock, and we'll Christmas Carol to 8 o'clock, and then 8 o'clock we'll have an open house at whoever's house host it. Different neighbors host that. I'm telling you, that's turned into an incredible time. And the kids join in, you know, as we get to different houses. They'll say, hey, Mom, the Christmas Carol's here. Can I go with them? Well, little Josh, and that's what I brought, even brought this up, he didn't go with us this year, but his sister did. And um, his his mom said, yeah, it's fine, you can go. And so she went Christmas caroling with us, and we would go house to house, you know, so forth. And then later on, she enjoyed it so much because all the kids come back, and this year it was at our house. We, they play basketball, and we open up our garage, and they play in the garage and play ping pong, and the adults generally come inside. And um, and so Elizabeth, who's a little girl, and I guess Josh is 11, and Elizabeth's probably about 10. They're, they're right together. Her mom comes up to find her. <laughs> she said, I figured she was up here. I said, well, come join us. And so she come and, came and hang out with us for, you know, another hour or so. And so uh, we've kind of cultivated that in our neighborhood uh, of getting to, to um, know our neighbors and um, reach out to them. And two years ago, one of our neighbors who's Methodist said, hey, I'll, I'll host it this year. And uh, would you mind? And she asked me this. We had about 45 people in her house. It was really great. She said, uh, would you mind having a time of prayer? and let people share prayer requests. And I said, absolutely. Uh, we had two different families, one man and then one daughter-in-law of a man in our neighborhood ask us about coming to church, and we picked up some church folks, uh, people coming to church out of that. So you reach people outside the church, then you bring them in. But just putting a sign out saying, y'all come, you're not necessarily going to reach them, but you reach them outside the church. You reach them in your neighborhood, you reach them at your workplace, you reach them in your neighborhood Bible study. In fact, two of our neighbors that have come to Christ, one did so through a neighborhood Bible study, another one through Upward Basketball. Um, any kind of community ministries that you can do that reach outside. Uh, the most popular building we have is on Benson Road. I was talking to Nancy. Our, our church is on Benson Road, which is Highway 50, but our address is St. Mary Street, which cuts in front of it. Um, but everybody in the whole community knows where the gym is. It's the CLC. Most people don't even know what that stands for, but they know where the CLC is. It's Christian Life Center. And... Um, People, a lot of people come to our gym that never have been to church, but uh, if they come to the events, they'll hear the gospel, especially through upper basketball. Do y'all have a gym back here? Oh, there's a big building back there. I couldn't remember if that was a gym or not. I guess it's education space. Next building you build is, is a gym. Build a gym. Build it, they will come. That is one thing that will draw people. But you, you can't treat it like um, a glass menagerie or whatever. you you gotta, you got to recognize that that's going to be a community center, and people will come to it. And uh, it's the best thing to do. We have, that's developed into everything for us. We, we use it seven days a week. In fact, we have a ministry called uh, Community of Hope. 
Uh, we do after-school programs, English as a Second Language, parenting skills, mentoring and tutoring. We have a camp called Camp Courage. It's a, basically an after-school program or a day school. It's like a Y program from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday in the summer. Uh, it's amazing. We have a director for that, and we have a, a separate organization that raises money for that. Um, it's amazing how you can reach your community. A lot of churches do a lot of social events. They're either a social ministries church, reaching, meeting people's needs, or they're an evangelism church. They, they're known for sharing the gospel. They're known for meeting social needs. But the Bible says do both, meet needs and share the gospel. Uh, Milton Hollifield has a great statement. He said it's, if missions equals ministry plus evangelism. If you just do ministry, anybody can do that. Or if you just do service, that's, that's nice, but that's, that's not really missions. Uh, Ministry plus sharing the gospel is missions. So do ministry, share the gospel. And, and you can do that. I mean, y'all, y'all still have a great influence in this community. You're probably the most influential church and the most recognized church in this community. And I'm so glad you have a pastor that has a heart to, to do that because some of y'all have been around long enough. I've been around long enough to know the history and story of Adamsville. I've known most of your pastors. I hadn't known some of the younger recent ones. I don't know the guys between Pat and Todd, but I knew everybody pretty much before that. And this is a, an incredible church. I, I want to encourage you. Y- y'all still have incredible potential uh, to reach not only Goldsboro, Seymour Johnson, Wayne County, but the world. And um, great opportunity. Somebody else, comment or question? Yes, ma'am. Tell her about Jesus. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, let me back up. Now, I've been doing that for a long time. I've been engaging people and sharing my faith since, I, since about 1983 when I really got serious about my faith in college and got involved with Campus Crusade. My children had gotten used to seeing me share Jesus with people. And... And, but the alarm went off that day for me because I realized I hadn't engaged this lady. I hadn't shared Jesus with her yet, but my daughter was waiting for me to do that. She just assumed that I was going to do that. And like when I didn't, she said, Daddy, aren't you going to tell her about Jesus? But all kinds of alarms went off for me. And it changed me in a, in a way. First of all, my kids are watching what I'm doing, and it does impact their life. And they are paying attention, even if they're six years old. The other thing is, she was thinking about sharing Jesus with her, so I sure should have been thinking about it. And it started making me think about seeing people. Is Can I share Jesus with this person? Am I going to share Jesus with this person? So it was kind of a double-barrel experience for me. One is, man, my kids really are watching what I do. And secondly, um, they're, you know, they're, they're reminding me I need to tell this person about Jesus. And Courtney's my best evangelist. Um, I'm not probably going to have time to get into the story tonight about her, but... Um, it's a pretty incredible spiritual war story. I may have to skip a session just to get to that session. But anyway, um, she's, she was at Lynchburg today. She was at, um, um, what's the name of the church? Tom, she was at Thomas Road Baptist because Charles Billings and I are friends, and he did the baptism. And she texted me right after, right when we were going to lunch. Charles Billings was doing the baptism today, and Joe White's coming. Joe White does Camp Canacuck. I don't know if you all familiar with that, but both my oldest kids are going to go work at Canacuck this summer. And I'm um, very excited about that. So, uh, anyway, it was kind of fun. What's something you got out of today, Justin? Uh, I didn't think of it yet, but 
Good word. Justin was reminding us of something. You probably couldn't hear him, but he said, you know, we sow and we cultivate, and sometimes maybe we get to harvest, but that's really the work of God. He just tells us to be obedient, to be faithful, to do the sowing and the cultivating so that people do come to know Christ. We may get that opportunity, but that's something that's the work of God, and we're just to be obedient and faithful to sow and cultivate towards that person coming to Christ. Does that say that pretty well? That's a good good insight. Pastor Todd. Yes, ma'am. Olivia. church culture yeah um, how can we push people past um, in conversation past just the christianese yeah. language and how can we make sure that we're not just speaking the language but that we're actually pushing people to the relationship aspect and not just the cultural values yeah i don't know if you can hear what she said she's saying you know it's kind of cultural church is kind of cultures kind of community people kind of do that we all speak a language and but how do we get past the language and the culture and the churchianity to get to the, the realness of the relationship? I think you do that through, through two things. I, I'm going to answer your question in a different way. I think the greatest apologetic, and apologetics is just giving a defense of the gospel. That's what the word apologia means. It means giving a, a reasoned defense of the gospel. I think the greatest apologetic is that you and I fall in love with Jesus, and then we tell everybody we can about him. But the summary of that is, is authenticity. I think what's missing is authenticity. I think the challenge for us is that people are looking for somebody to be authentic, to be real. And, um, you know, the statistic of why do 88% of kids that grow up in church leave church and never return? It's because they saw churchianity, they saw hypocrisy, they saw church politics, they saw people act like church people but then not act any different the rest of the week. Um, I really think it's the issue is authenticity. I think our, our culture is looking for authenticity. I, I think our, the church is looking for authenticity. But I think young people, and when I say young people, I'm talking about 20-somethings and younger. They, know, they may not be able to tell you everything, but they know what's real and what's not real. They know whether their, their um, faith is real or not real. In fact, I'm going to tell a story that happened in this church. Um, I won't name the family because um, they don't live here anymore. They got transferred out of the country. And this happened about... Um, over 12 years ago, because it was in 99, and one of your former pastors told me this story. This is about authenticity. Had a kid in a church I served in New England, um, Pease Air Force Base. We, we had a ton of Pease Air Force Base people there. I was in the Portsmouth area, and I had this kid, and I'll just call him Jay. His name starts with Jay. He was about 14, talented kid. He could do anything. He could sing. He could dance. He could uh, lead worship. I mean, he could preach. I mean, he, he was a really talented kid. His parents were extremely involved in church. I mean, his mom and dad were there for everything. His dad was a deacon. And I said to him one day, I said, Jay, it must be great to have parents like you do and have a, have a dad who's, you know, a leader involved in church. And he just looked at me. He said, my dad's not the spiritual leader of our family. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, my mom's a spiritual leader. I said, but your dad seems like a good guy. He said, well, he's a good guy, but he just sits at home and is lazy boy at home. He, he doesn't do anything spiritual. He just does it at church. And he, wasn't, he wasn't even being critical. He was just kind of matter of fact talking to me. 14 years old. They got transferred to Seymour Johnson. I mean, I'm being really personal with y'all. I hope this, hope this sticks in a good way. I mean, I hope you take this in the right way. It doesn't really have anything to do with the church. It has to do with this family. But it, it's still answering your question. And um, so I, I came up to one of your pastors. His last name was Brown. He was an associate pastor or something. Huh? Ray Brown. Ray Brown. It was Ray Brown. And um, I said, Ray, tell me about this family. I said, they transferred from 
uh, Pease Air Force Base to Seymour Johnson, and I think they go to church here. And he said, yeah, they do, and they did for a while. They were active, they were involved, and then they got transferred, you know, to another country. And I said, well, tell me about Jay. And he said, uh, you need to pray for that boy. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's dropped out of church. He's dropped out of school. Um, he just needs some direction in his life. And, man, my mind went racing back to 10 or 15 years earlier when he told me this story about his parents. And, um, man, it just ripped my heart out to, to think. But the issue was... His parents were very involved in church. They were doing all the right things, and they were good people. But he was able to read through the fact of the lack of authenticity, particularly in his dad, not his mom, but his dad. And his dad was a good man. I mean, he was a moral guy, did stuff right, deacon. I mean, there was no negativity there. It's just there wasn't the true spirituality, and that's what I think you're really talking about. They did the right stuff. They used the right language. They acted in the right way, but it was, it was culture, and it was morality, but it was not spirituality in a sense of authenticity. And I think that's what people are really looking for. I mean, you guys over here that are the young group that are sitting over here, you don't have to answer my question, but maybe you can, Mr. Uh, Keith Burkhart. That's what I was trying to think of, Mr. Burkhart. Uh, Keith might can identify this. You're young enough, but is what I'm saying makes sense? Is that true? I mean, young people are looking for people to really be real and not just talk about church or play church, but actually be real. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that. Now, don't raise your hand on this, but I, I know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it and see if this identifies with you. And, and I'm saying this to people that are over 45 predict, particularly, you know, people 50 and older. Just think about this. When you were growing up in church, and most of y'all grew up in church, think of how many people in your church that were truly godly people. Not just good church people, but they were godly people. And you think, man, that person walked with the Lord. I mean, when you were in their presence, you knew that person was a godly person. You probably can't think of more than five people like that. I mean, you think of a lot of nice people, a lot of good people, but there's probably not more than four or five people. You can probably count them on your hand who are truly godly people. Other than the pastor, perhaps. And, uh, and don't, you know, don't respond to that, but just think about that. I think I'm probably correct in that. That's my own experience. My grandmother was one of those people, thankfully. And even to this day, I mean, she's been dead since um, February of uh, 99. Not a, not a day goes by my grandmother doesn't have an influence on my life. And she has an influence on my life from the grave. But it's because of what she showed me. She was very real. And um, she's very deep. And she's very quiet. But she had a real faith. And uh, probably the strongest of anybody in my family. So we need to take a break. Yes, ma'am. Last question. <laughs> We'll do this some more in the next session. I mean, we won't stop. Yeah. 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 And what you said this morning almost sounded so dramatic in my mind. Kind of brought me back to thinking. Yeah, you're in the middle of the third quarter. I'm in the middle of the third quarter. I'm with you.
Yes, ma'am. Amen. I agree with that. We'll come back. We're going to take a break. Let me just pray real quickly. And I, I think that we all do. Lord, thank you for that last comment. We all want to make a difference, Lord. We want our lives to count uh, for eternity. Uh, and, Lord, we want to please you in the process. So, Father, even as we take a break, as we come back, prepare our hearts, Lord, that we might uh, enter in and jump into what you want us to talk about. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.